0: This is a, a great Sunday to share. Um, I actually shared last Sunday last year, the Sunday before Christmas as well, and I love this time of year. You know, the the kids are down to two two windows in their Advent calendars this morning, right? They have one window left, and of course, my kids' Advent calendars are their chocolate this year. Uh, we didn't get super creative. There is a Lego one, but it's you know you had to plan ahead. Um, and we get to this part of the year, and there's so much anticipation and expectation. And some of it's with excitement, uh, if you're going to be home and you don't have to travel. No, just kidding. Um, but we have so much anticipation and expectation, and, and some of it is, uh, is with hope and excitement. And some of it, this is a time of year where some of that anticipation is with um, a little bit of insecurity and fear, and we don't necessarily know what the holidays are going to look like necessarily. Um, with family and all of that. And so what I want to think about today is the first Advent. And we're in between two Advents, if you didn't know, and Advent just means the arrival of a notable person. So the greatest Advent of all, of course, was the arrival of Jesus, who was prophesied his coming for 3,000 years. Jesus was the first Advent. And then the second Advent that we are also in anticipation for which is the return of Jesus that has also been prophesied for thousands of years. And so what I want to share today is about the first Christmas song ever sung. And when you think of the first Christmas song, um, you might think of Hark the Herald. Of course, I don't know if the angels actually sang Hark the Herald. Seems like maybe they did. They definitely um, sang some things. In Luke, it says, um, as the shepherds were out in the field, they sang glory to God In the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now, I'm pretty sure if a host of angels came down to earth in the middle of the night to sing to a bunch of shepherds, that was a really catchy tune. So, I'm assuming in my imagination that as the shepherds traveled into Bethlehem to worship at Jesus' feet, they might have been humming that tune that the angels sang to them. And it was on their hearts, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those in whom his favor rests. And how much more would you feel like the favor of God rested on you if a host of angels appeared to you in the middle of night? Be Pretty astounding. But that wasn't the first Christmas song. It wasn't the first song Jesus heard hummed over him because we know that babies can hear us in the womb. And so the first song that Jesus probably ever heard was the song that Mary sang over him when she saw Elizabeth. So let me give you some context of this story. And before we begin, I have three questions for you today. What is your song this Christmas? What is the song of your heart? Christmas is all about Jesus for us. And the Advent season counts down to the greatest event in history. Not just chocolate, 24 days in December, but the greatest time-changing, calendar-shifting, world-changing event in history. For us, the Advent is isn't just a countdown to Jesus, but it's a countdown to remembering he's coming again. What is your song? And then as we think about his second coming, we think about it with so much hope because we know what he has already done. Now, Mary and the shepherds, they had no way of fathoming what Jesus was actually going to do. They had ancient prophecies from Isaiah and Jeremiah, and they had an anticipation. But they had no idea how this man was going to change history. But we do, because he's already changed our lives if we have recognized and believed in Jesus Jesus did arrive and he did change the course of history, but his life also changed the course of our lives. So, what has God done for you? And what are you expecting for this Christmas? When Mary sang this first song, she was expecting the arrival of a baby that she was going to call Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. But what are you expecting? Many of the promises of God were fulfilled when Jesus came to save the world. But more promises remain. More promises remain for you and I to see fulfilled. Promises we believe in our individual lives, promises we believe for this church and this house, and promises that we believe for the global church, all of the people that the second advent is for. So I want to share with you um, briefly, we're going to go through this today, the first song that was ever sung in anticipation of the Advent. The first song sung in reflection of the amazing God who sent his son. Because he saw you and he loved you. So after a thousand years of spiritual silence, Israel had fallen. 28 generations had come and gone since David. Israel was in the north. Israel was split after Solomon. And Israel in the north fell to Assyria. Judah in the south was defeated by Babylon. In this 1,000 years, Babylon was defeated by Persia. Are you guys ready for ancient Near East history? All right, Babylon was then defeated by Persia. And the Persian Empire was then defeated by Greece and Rome. Remember, I think this is like sixth grade, sixth grade history. And during the time of the Persian Empire, before Rome came along, the Jews were allowed to return to Jerusalem. But Jerusalem was never the same as it was in David and Solomon's years. A thousand years before Jesus came. And I'm not a historian, so I don't think in these terms of history all the time or very often. But this is comparable. So Mary, thinking about the thousand years of silence, this is comparable to us today to thinking about 1,000 A.D., 1,000 years ago from us. And us standing today in hope of the promises spoken to a pope 1,000 a years ago. Because 1,000 years ago, it was a dark ages. There was one church in the whole world. Can you imagine that? One church in the whole world. It was the Catholic church. And during those times, in that one church, the holy wars were breaking out. And the church was crusading to fight against Islam and the Muslim takeover of Israel. A thousand years ago. Kind of sounds familiar to today in some ways. um, But this was a thousand years ago. And Mary, a young woman, 15 years old carried promises a thousand years old now back then they didn't have a hundred bibles in their houses okay probably don't have a hundred they didn't have five bibles in their houses the book of isaiah all alone on a scroll was four feet wide so that's about as tall as me (laughs) i'm taller than four feet but um was about my height and was 30 feet long that's the book of isaiah We have 66 books in our Bible. They didn't have 66 books. They had the Old Testament. But if you think about that, every book was 30 feet by 6 feet. Mary, a 15-year-old girl born in the poor town of Nazareth in the north, right, that northern nation, Israel, that fell first, To Assyria in that part of Israel where Ahab and Jezebel had reigned where they worshiped not in the temple of Jerusalem remember when Jesus came along later they said nothing good comes out of Nazareth this is where that 15 year old girl was when the angel appeared to her and she was full of the word of God And I don't know how she was full of the word of God. At 15, she didn't have a 30 foot by 15 foot scroll at home that she could read every day. I get up in the morning and I have the ease of my Bible. And if that's too heavy for me, I can read the word on my phone. (laughs) And she didn't have any of that. So where did she hear it? The only place you could hear the word of God was when it was read in the temple. This was a 15 year old girl who hung out in the temple enough that when she was intercepted by the Holy Spirit, she sang a song that had been sung before. And she sang a song that reflected on the prophet Isaiah. And she sang a song that reflected on the coming of another prophet. Now, a thousand years before her. And she didn't sing the song word for word like the song of Hannah. But she sang a song that reflected the heart and the Holy Spirit That moved Hannah to sing. It's a beautiful song. And it was a song of hope, of hope that she, as a 15 year old girl, had no idea. She had no right to hope in. But she sang a song in hope. So, when you're 15 years old, and you're a young woman, and you're unmarried, and you're pregnant out of wedlock, at a time when they stoned people for disobeying their parents, you're gonna get out of town. And so what do you do? So she did. She got out of town, and she went to visit her supernaturally pregnant family member in another town. So she went to visit Elizabeth. And her cousin, maybe we'll just say cousin because it's easier because we don't really know their exact relationship. And her cousin Elizabeth carried another baby who was supernaturally imparted to her her and her husband, Zechariah, and she was old and she was barren, but she was pregnant with hope. And it was prophesied over her and Zechariah that this child would be full of the Holy Spirit in her womb. And when Mary came and walked in the door and said whatever it was she said, probably hi, (laughs) um, at the sound of her voice, this prophet jumped in Elizabeth's womb. And do you know what the amazing thing about being around prophetic, spirit-filled people is? When John jumped in Elizabeth's, Elizabeth's womb, full of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit rose up in Elizabeth as well. He rose up in Elizabeth as well, and Elizabeth proclaimed over Mary, Blessed is she. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And I think in that moment, Mary, she'd come on a long journey. She'd walked in the door of her family member's home. She would said hello, and a Holy Spirit moment broke loose. And if we can go to the next slide, this is what she cried out. I bet she fell to her knees, and this is what she said. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who are in awe of him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful to Abraham and his children forever. We know that the angel appeared to Mary, and when he came to her and he proclaimed over her these fantastic, amazing, terrifying things, this 15-year-old girl, so full of the scripture, had one response, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. Do you know that those words right there sum up all of the Pentateuch, all of the Torah, all of the word of God for us, where he says, first, love me, then obey me. Love me first, then obey me. And then what happens? Leviticus says, Numbers says, Deuteronomy says, blessings from generation to generation to generation to generation, uncountable generations. I think she loved him first. That when that angel appeared to her, while she was afraid, the response in her heart was, I'm your servant, Lord. And she said, Lord, in all caps. So she was saying, I am your servant, Yahweh. I am your servant, he who is the God, who is the only God. I." am your servant so when i think about this passage we know its scholars have said it breaks down into three separate parts and it opens with the magnificat my soul magnifies the lord my spirit rejoices in god my savior This is the first time in Luke we get a picture of Jesus as the Savior, as the Messiah, who's going to fulfill all of the prophecies of Isaiah. But this cry, this glorifying recognition of God and who he is, this magnification of God is because of the next two sections. So where you see the word for, this is the reason for the magnification. This is the reason for the glorification. And there are two things that she says. For he saw me, for he is mighty. So I will glorify his name. So when we think first, he took notice of me. This might be the most beautiful passage I think, that sets up the whole story of Christ's life. Because she says, he took notice of me, a lowly servant girl. Do you know the the second half of Isaiah talks about a coming Messiah, not a king, but a servant. And the second half of this glorification of God, she talks about how he raises up the humble ones to high and lofty places. When I read this, I'm not surprised that Jesus was born in the feeding trough of a barn, in the lowliest of low places he could have entered the world in. Because God is delighted to raise the lowly and exalt them to high places. So he took this 15 year old girl of no account except that she was of the line of David. And he saw her praising and entering the temple and worshiping, and he sent an angel to her. And when I think about this, of God taking notice of us, I think about the Holy Spirit who's traveling, who's wandering the earth looking for those of us who realize he's noticed. And I think about this, I didn't have a television as a kid, and so what we did have was binoculars and books not for spying on our neighbors, that's creepy. Um, But one of the things that we did with our binoculars is we spent lots and lots of hours looking at birds. And when I think about God noticing us, I think about how it felt to sit on the back of the couch looking out our big picture window. And I would look through my binoculars into the tree, and at first, all you see is branches. All you see is the woods. And then all of a sudden, you see the red glint of a cardinal or the blue glint of a blue jay. It's terrible. You want to go back to the cardinal. But you see the bird sitting in the tree. And I want to say this today, that when John 3.16 says that God so loved the world, he sent Jesus, I feel like in some way God was sitting up in heaven, which I know he's not. I know he's omnipresent. But he had his own pair of binoculars. And that day, when he called on Mary, he was looking through his binoculars, and he was looking into the forest, and he saw you. He noticed you. And he noticed you. And he saw you. And he noticed you. And he noticed you. And you. And you. He noticed you when you weren't looking for him. He noticed you when you didn't love him. He noticed you when you weren't looking to be noticed. You didn't think you were worthy of notice. He saw you. And Mary knew what it felt like to be seen. Because Gabriel had appeared to her. And maybe Gabriel hasn't appeared to many of us (laughs) in this room. But you know what? This is the purpose of the church. That we are around people who are full of the Holy Spirit, who have God alive in them. And when we're in relationship with them, guess what? They see you. And we all know that people have come into our lives, whether it was an employer or a teacher or a friend or a spouse, someone at some point in our life has come along when we least expected it and said, I see you. I noticed this about you. And something in us that we never knew was there was recognized because we look in a mirror and we walk away and forget what we look like he took notice of us. And today if you're sitting here and you don't feel like anyone's noticed, he notices you. He noticed you 2000 years ago, which is why he was willing to call a 15 year old girl out and risk her stoning because he noticed you. Why wouldn't our souls magnify the Lord? He took notice. And then he does great things for us. Mary sang next, the mighty one is holy. And he has done great things for me. So this is where we start with the great things he has done for us. He died for us. He was holy so we could be called holy. He sent his Holy Spirit so we could continue in sanctification. He has done great things for me. But even more so than the great things he's done for me, because I'm only a little tiny piece in this massive narrative throughout history, he has done great things for all his people. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He scatters the proud and haughty ones. He brings the princes down. So Mary first reflects her overwhelming amazement at God choosing and seeing her. Then she reflects on why this is so amazing. Because God is amazing. He doesn't do things like the rest of the world does things. He chooses the lowly, the weak, the poor, the hungry. And he says, you, you, I will feed. You, I will rescue, and you, I will meet. Generations before Mary, Israel had told the stories of God's mercy, passed down from David and Solomon to the days of Josiah. When Josiah came back, And rebuilt the temple. And it's great. He did so many great things for the nation of Israel. And before David came, another prophet was born. We'll say about 2,000 years before Jesus. Actually, it was 1,000. That's fine. And this prophet was both judge of Israel and a prophet and an anointer of kings. Samuel, that's who that was, came into the world with a song that was so similar, sung over him by his mother, Hannah, when he was in her womb. Now, of course, I know the story of Hannah really well. um, But for those of you who don't know the story of Hannah, Hannah was beautiful. And she was married to a man who had another wife. And her husband loved her the most. We hear this story throughout the Bible, I think of the one wife that gets loved but ends up barren, and the other unloved wife who has all the kids and really is kind of a snotty second wife. I think this is why we only have one wife anymore. You don't have the snotty second wife scenario. Um, But Hannah, the second wife, was so snotty to Hannah. I'm sure snotty is the Hebrew word. That's the direct translation. She was so awful to her that she actually cried out to God and said, silence my enemies. This wasn't a nice home to live in, and the worth of a woman 3,000 years ago was dependent on her offspring, and it was the children that she bore that were going to take care of her in her old age, because she was probably going to outlive her husband. He was going to die at 40, so it wasn't like, you know, living that long, but, um, and so Hannah was barren, and she cried out to God, and they were in Jerusalem at the temple, leaving a sacrifice. And her husband always gave the other wife and all the kids, you know, their portions to sacrifice before the Lord, and he gave Hannah a double portion. And with this double portion, she went into the temple and she just started weeping and crying out before God. And she was like praying the way that we do in charismatic churches where like her mouth is moving like And her husband looks over and is like, "What is wrong with you? Are you drunk? Stop drinking." And she's like, "No, I'm not drunk. I'm crying out to God." And in that moment, God heard her. And in that prayer, she promised to God, if you could just send me a son, I'll give him back to you. A thousand years before Mary had a son that she knew she was going to give back to God, Hannah had the same cry, just give me this son. And so God gave her Samuel, probably the mightiest prophet, In Israel's history, he changed the role of prophets because, up until Samuel, prophets didn't anoint kings because Samuel anointed the first two. (laughs) So he was the first one. Um, So he anointed Saul and he anointed David. And when Hannah went to the temple after Samuel had been weaned, she's going to give her only son. This is the only chance she has at motherhood away. This is what her heart cries out. To the Lord. And you can turn to it because I know my slides uh, shifted when I went from uh, Word and Windows to Mac. Um, But this is what she cried out in Samuel 2 1 through 10. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Stop acting so proud and haughty. Don't speak with such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows what you have done, and he will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who have stumbled are now strong. Those who were well-fed are now starving, and those who were starving are now full. The childless woman now has seven children, and the woman with many children wastes away. The Lord gives both death and life. He brings some down to the grave, but raises others up. The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. He lifts the poor from the dust and the needy from the garbage dump. He sets them among princes, placing them in seats of honor. For all the earth is the Lord's and he has set the world in order. He will protect his faithful ones, but the wicked will disappear in darkness. No one will succeed by strength alone. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth, but He gives power to His king and He increases the strength of His anointed one. There is no king in Israel when Hannah sings this song. Hannah is singing about you and me. Hannah is singing about the lowly of spirit, the humble those who recognize their own broken states and are therefore confounded and puzzled that this magnificent God sees us. Two women rejoice in the Lord. These two women who were seen by God and blessed with a child who is inevitably going to leave them. Both of these women loved God. They were obedient and they saw beyond their own circumstances to the great things that God was doing. So I ask, what are you expecting? What are you expecting God to do? He's seen you, He's magnificent and majestic. Samuel changed the course of Israel's history. His mother was miraculously pregnant with this child, and as a young kid, Samuel left his house and went into the temple and heard God when the old priest, Eli, couldn't hear. The course of history was changed through Samuel's life. And even though their mothers may have played a really small part in their lives, Hannah only had Samuel for that. First, I don't know how long it takes to wean a baby in ancient Israel. We'll just say year. (laughs) She sang a song that recognized what God was doing in that moment. What do we expect God to do in this generation? What do we expect God to do through us? Do you know he doesn't raise up the lowly for nothing? He hasn't raised you up without a purpose. He saw you for a reason. What do you expect? him to do. And I love that both Hannah and Mary recognize the promises of God that don't go unfulfilled. Sometimes we are expectant. Sometimes we're pregnant with the promises of God for a little longer than nine months. But God is doing magnificent things in this generation. And I love this. I was hanging out with one of my friends recently who's six months pregnant. And she had just gotten back from a retreat where they spent the entire retreat um, in silence for three days thinking about the Magnificat. And she said the one part that she struggled most with in her second trimester was the part where Mary says, He has done great things for me. I don't know... Maybe some of you have the opportunity to be pregnant. Um, Half of you, I'm assuming as men, will never know what this is like. But when you are in the midst of your first or second trimester, you know, first trimester comes with morning sickness. Second trimester, your back starts hurting. Uh, Third trimester, you know, like Elizabeth within, the baby's kicking all the time. It's, It's not the most fun thing. I wouldn't call it a magnificent thing that God has done for any woman to be called pregnant. I mean, it's magnificent to have the babies, and some women really love being pregnant. But at this point in time, she said, I don't understand how Mary could sing out in this song, what a magnificent thing this is that God has done for me. All of the pain and sickness of childbirth, doing it out of wedlock with all the questions of her family and community, bringing this child into the world, we have to see so far beyond our circumstances. This is what happens when we are full of the word of God. That no matter what is going on around us, no matter how impossible our situation is, no matter if we were up early, you know, barfing, or up late puking with morning sickness, or carrying, we, I mean, this is real. This is really what Mary lived. It wasn't a, a metaphorical child that she bore. She carried this baby and brought him into this world, and she called it a magnificent thing. Oh, I hope that the things and promises that God has put on our hearts that carry so much less pain, we can recognize the magnificence of them even more. He has done magnificent things for us. So we get to the final part. This is it. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. All of the reasons why our soul praises the Lord. All of the reasons why our spirits rejoice in God. He saw us. He does magnificent things through us. But our souls, they don't speak. And our spirits don't talk when our souls magnify the Lord, when our spirits recognize what he has done, guess what happens? Just like John kicking in Elizabeth's stomach. (laughs) From our souls and our spirits, something rises up in us so that our minds cannot doubt it, so that our lips can't but proclaim it. How our souls will magnify the Lord when our soul and spirit recognize the magnificence of God, it's easier to say glory, of God, our thoughts, our emotions, and our mouths follow suit. We cannot help but sing and speak out the truth of his glory. How majestic, how magnificent God is. So if you never knew that he saw you, I want to offer you the opportunity to respond to his view of you today. Because he loved you, and he loves you before you love him back. But how amazing our lives are when we do love him in return. How hopeful our hearts are when we get to be a part of his amazing mercy. When God calls us to respond to him, and we're so full of our love for him that we say, okay, whatever you call me to, I am your servant. So as we close, I want you to all stand, and I want to read this passage together as a proclamation from our own hearts in worship. And then we're going to close with a, the song, because I just... Recited it to you this whole sermon because I would not have been as uh, anointed if I had tried to sing it. And we're going to close with this song today as we go out in expectation, not for presents or great food or all of the other things that Christmas is, but in expectation because He saw us and He called us to be a part of His mercy so our souls can magnify Him. So let's start. We don't read a lot together, but let's start together. and read through this, and then we're going to um, close with the song that Mary sang. And if you would like to respond to this message in any way, if you just need to be seen, if you want to respond to Jesus, please come forward during the song, and we will pray for you. So first, let's read this together. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever.